When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, Empty Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. Back a day after our turkey day, my belly is still full, my belly is still bulging, and yet I am still ready for more and more football. I felt cheated yesterday because we only had the early afternoon and the later afternoon game. We didn't have the Thursday night game, which is the one that we were all looking forward to, quite honestly. And we're going to be talking about that game a little bit here as we go through the injury updates segment of the show when we first start to kick off. But hopefully, we first want to say I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Hopefully, the fantasy aspects of the first two games went your way, and we're going to be Plowing right into a lot more content today with Week 12 as we are now two games away from your fantasy football playoffs. We have a lot we got to talk about. We have a lot we have to prepare for. It's here. We are right in the thick of your playoff races here for MD Nation. So kicking things off before we get into the Thanksgiving recaps, I'd like to go over the injury updates from the games that we previewed in yesterday's show. Remember, if you didn't catch yesterday's show, which we had a Thanksgiving special from 8 to 9 in the morning, so it was an earlier time than we normally do, you can always go back on your favorite streaming app or the WWSRN on iOS, Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android, and be able to go ahead and listen to that episode there where we talked about all the early slate window of games, which there's a ton of. There was 11 early slate window games coming up here in week uh, 12, and there's no teams on by. So we're really talking about everybody in the NFL this week. Uh, we do have a couple teams on by next week, and then that'll be it. So we have a lot of slated games that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. But yes, we went over those 11 games yesterday. I want to talk about some of the injury updates that came through during Thanksgiving to give you guys some up-to-date information on that before we hit the weekend. And of course, we're going to be updating our rankings as a result to what injury reports come out throughout Friday as well. Make sure you check that out on Belly Up Fantasy Sports. 
Sportsgrid.com. Those rankings will get up to date and will be finalized for you guys by Sunday morning. And we'll keep you up to date on all these injury news throughout the weekend if anything were to change or develop on at BellyUpMDFF Show on Twitter and on Facebook. The first thing we've got to talk about, though, that we did talk about a little bit yesterday was the Ravens and Steelers game, but we had more information come out last night regarding that game. That's now Lamar Jackson. That's right, Lamar Jackson was tested positive for COVID. So now all of a sudden we face a situation where RG3 is the only active quarterback because even Trace McSorley also tested positive for COVID too. So now all of a sudden, because the Ravens have continued each day this week, to have a new player test positive. Now you're entering a new stratosphere. I know the NFL, they have pretty much made this stance in the in, in the sand that they just want to have these games no matter what and have pretty much told teams that, you know what, if you have to throw out your practice squad, practice, you know, practice squad, backup practice squad guys out there in order to make a full team, so be it. We're not rescheduling any more games, except now that you have a quarterback, not just a quarterback, but a top quarterback, a top face in this franchise, in this league, test positive for COVID, there is a chance that things will change. Remember, when it comes to the quarterback position, that's when the NFL will tend to be able to change things and come to reason. Right now, the biggest thing is a safety issue. If the Ravens are continuing to have players test positive every single day, you do not want to take the chance that somebody gets under the radar comes Sunday, is actually positive, and then spreads it then to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now you got a whole outbreak around the entire NFL in your hands rather than just containing it to one team. So there is a lot of talk that this game is seriously up in the air. It's a serious question mark as far as are they really going to be able to play this thing on Sunday. The NFL is still trying to stay fast. They're still trying to hold on that they can play this game at 115. I think that's liable to change. If there is another positive test today or another positive test tomorrow for the Baltimore Ravens, I don't see how the NFL in good conscience could still have this game on Sunday. And there's a lot of people who are starting to feel that way. A lot of people with power, a lot of people with say so are starting to feel that way. Even the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, canceled practice today not because they are having an issue on the Pittsburgh Steelers' side, but because they are still awaiting word from the NFL exactly what's going to go on on Sunday and, frankly, decided he was just going to give his guys the day off to stay safe, to isolate, and make sure everybody's healthy and good to go. Like I said yesterday's show, the NFL is dealing with this second outbreak of COVID just like the rest of the nation is, and it's going to throw some hiccups into some of these game plans. So if you have Ravens fantasy players, if you have Steelers fantasy players, be ready to have to replace those guys because there's a decent chance that this game does not happen or at least does not happen on Sunday. Would they maybe push it to Tuesday? I don't know. At, at this point, I think they'd be better off trying to find another date to have this game or to not have it all together. We'll have to wait to see what the NFL is going to decide, but there's real question marks that this game will actually be had on Sunday afternoon. So just keep in mind, if you had Gus Edwards... If you had Mark Andrews, if you had any of the Steelers guys, you know, Connor, the wide receivers, whatever the case may be, you have to be ready to replace these guys because there's a real chance that they might not be available to play this game. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens there. Outside of that, though, we know that if they do have a game on Sunday, we have to take it from that standpoint. There won't be a Lamar Jackson. There won't be a J.K. Dobbins. There won't be a Mark Ingram. They're going to be missing a lot of players on defense. The Steelers should be able to steamroll this game if they actually push this game on Sunday. That's the scary thought. 
I talked about yesterday how Gus Edwards, to me, actually winds up being an RB2 because I believe he would get 20 carries at least against the Steelers, who he had some success with before. And while the volume in and of itself may not change as far as him being the bell cow, if you take Lamar Jackson out of this lineup with the way this team has been playing, I don't know how much the Ravens are really going to be able to move the football. So I would actually move off of Gus Edwards being a must-play. I would consider him in the flex, but you have to go in with a knowledge that there's a low floor because he's not going to have as many opportunities to score. His offense, with his team in general, may be in a really bad situation where they could get blown out in this football game. So he comes off of me being a must-start heading into this week now that we're not going to have Lamar Jackson if they were, in fact, to go ahead and push forward on Sunday. But this affects all the Steelers players, too. And there's, as we all know, there's a lot of fantasy-relevant Steelers players. So keep this in mind. More information to come. We'll keep you up to date at BellyUpMDFF Show on social media. So now let's move into some of the early window of games that we talked about where we have some injury updates for you guys. Uh, one of the big ones being Julio Jones was actually limited again in practice yesterday. So that's kind of a good sign. Two days back to back where he was able to get out on the practice field. He may have a better chance to play than we originally thought. We'll be adding him into the rankings uh, pretty soon this weekend, especially if he's able to practice again in a limited capacity today. I would feel pretty good about that being the case that he would be able to play if he practices three days in a row. Todd Gurley, however, he did not practice Wednesday. He did not practice yesterday. We're going to wait for the official word today, but there's a real chance here. It's looking like Brian Hill might be the guy heading into that game against the Raiders. If he's if he's available to you guys, you have to go ahead and make sure you pick up Brian Hill in that matchup because he might be the bell cow, might be a little bit of a split. You'll see some Ito Smith as well probably if Todd Gurley goes down, but Brian Hill would figure be the guy to get most of the work against the Raiders if Todd Gurley can't go. It's looking more and more like that might be a question mark heading into this ball game too. So something else we have to keep our eyes out on. Hayden Hurst did not practice yesterday, but I did get some word that it looks like he's going to practice today. So if you're counting on Hayden Hurst to be your tight end, there's a decent chance he's going to be out there for you. So that's good news there on the Atlanta Falcons side. Uh, You go to Raiders side, though, there's some questions here because now you had Josh Jacobs, who got added to the injury report yesterday with a hip issue. He was limited in practice. It's unclear if he picked up the injury during practice or if this was something where he they just wanted to give him maintenance and didn't want him to practice the full day and just allow him to kind of rest a little bit really unclear because all we got was that he got added to the injury report and he was a limited participant in practice we'll know more today at some point now because the Raiders is on the west coast we'll probably know later on in the day so again make sure you're following us on social media we'll keep you up to date on that but something definitely to monitor be ready to pick up Devontae Booker if Josh Jacobs suddenly was not able to go in this game, because Booker has been playing not only well, but clearly has been the handcuff to Josh Jacobs over the past couple of weeks. So that's somebody you need to keep in mind if Jacobs suddenly cannot go. Uh, next guy up for the next game was the Buffalo Bills, John Brown. He officially got ruled out today, in fact. So John Brown is not going to be able to go. He wasn't able to practice. Real concerning considering they're coming off the bye week and he still wasn't really able to get get healthy at all. Uh, just another it's another lost season for John Brown who's just been dealing with injuries all season long in his absence you'll see Gabriel Davis play a little bit more but the guy who becomes the relevant fantasy wide receiver outside of the Stefan Diggs would become Cole Beasley who's had decent performances if you're in a half point full point PPR league I'm okay with playing Cole Beasley as a flex play Uh, there's still a low floor when it comes to him but he's somebody who has performed enough throughout the season in the absence of John Brown where he is an option 
depending upon what you may or may not have to do to replace some of these guys in some of these situations who might be hurt. Or, I mean, if you have the Steelers and Ravens game, that's a lot of wide receivers in that ball game that you might be looking to replace. So Cole Beasley would become a flex option now that John Brown is going to be out. Uh, hopefully you still have a better option to go with somebody with a better ceiling than a Cole Beasley would. But like I said, he has performed enough where that can be a consideration at the very least. You go over to the other side of the the field on that game, and you have Austin Eckler. While he's been practicing in a limited capacity thus far, we're leaning towards Austin Eckler really not being able to go in this ballgame. I would be really surprised if they decide to activate him this week. From what I understand, while he has been limited on the practice field, it's been very limited. So even though they're coming off the bye, even though he's coming off the IR, they designated for him return, there's still very little that he's actually doing in practice. He's still wearing the red non-contact jersey, uh, which just just means they're still being safe with him. I would be a little bit surprised if this was the week that Eckler came back, but it's just a good sign that he is getting closer now that he's on the practice field. Maybe next week, or I would say within the next two weeks, I think it is a safe bet that Eckler could be back on the field. And if you're in a position to be in the playoffs and you've had Austin Eckler this entire time, all you really care about is for Austin Eckler to get back by week 14. I think because of development this week, there's a pretty good chance of that happening, of him being ready to go and being back in the lineups come your first round playoff week. So that's what you care about the most. He's on track for that. I'd just be a little bit surprised if you saw him this week. There's another injury report that was a little bit surprising to me. Giovanni Bernard, he goes down with a concussion on Wednesday, or at least gets listed with a concussion on Wednesday in the injury report. Not really sure when it happened, when he picked it up. Wasn't really clear because there was nothing coming out of that game. Thursday, though, they had him listed as a limited participant in practice. So we thought with him getting added to the injury report on Wednesday with a concussion that he probably had very little to no chance at all to be able to play. But because he was able to practice in a limited capacity the day after, there at least at least opens up the door that he can maybe get through the concussion protocol. Remember, there's a five-step concussion protocol that he has to get through. He has just enough days to be able to do that, being that they added him on Wednesday. If he's able to practice again in a limited capacity today, then there's a decent chance that Giovanni Bernard might actually wind up being available uh, against the New York Giants this upcoming week. Move on after that, we have A.J. Brown, and this is something I've been very concerned about after watching how much pain he was in when he came down on his knee uh, in that overtime game. And he was not able to practice on Wednesday. He didn't practice again yesterday. He's going to have to get on the practice field, at least in some kind of limited capacity, on Friday for us to feel any chance or any confidence that he's really going to be able to play on Sunday and be out there. So, a lot of hits come to the wide receivers between what's going on with the Ravens and the Steelers. A lot of injuries this week. John Brown out. A.J. Brown, to me, is very, very questionable. Julio Jones is very, very questionable. A lot of wide receiver moves, even in a week where we finally have no bye weeks, may need to be had moving forward here. So we're going to have to keep that up to date throughout the weekend. But he's going to need to practice in some sort of capacity, I believe, today in order for him to have an actual shot to be able to suit up on Sunday. Something to keep your eyes on. Some good news, at least with the Carolina Panthers, are concerned. Teddy Bridgewater's practicing. Teddy Bridgewater is fully expected to come back and play against the Minnesota Vikings here. He does enter the streaming territory, but it's more about having the confidence in what you're going to get out of your three top pass catchers in DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel against a great matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. So you feel good about playing them with Bridgewater back. Unfortunately, McCaffrey... While he's been at practice, he's still wearing the red non-contact jersey. 
Matt Rule has pretty much made it all but certain that he's still pretty doubtful. They really don't think he's going to wind up playing this week. And I talked about this going into last week. It didn't make any sense to me that there would be some sort of chance for him to play week 12 when the Carolina Panthers are one of these teams that have a bye week in week 13. It's Christian McCaffrey. You brought him back one week. He got hurt off the bat right away. I believe they're going to be very, very cautious with him and allow him to miss this week, take the bye week off, and then have him come back for week 14, I think is the more likely scenario when it comes to Christian McCaffrey. So I believe you're going to have to be at least two more weeks without him. But like Austin Eckler, if you've been able to be in position to make the playoffs and you have Christian McCaffrey on your team, I do believe that you will truly have him for the playoff run uh, that first round starting week 14. I think there's a good chance of that happening. So that's the good news there. Adam Thielen, we still haven't gotten much of an update on this situation. Mike Zimmer continues to keep us all in the dark. We knew he had a positive. We knew he had a negative. Now trying to find out exactly what happened after that has been a bit of a pain. Uh, And we don't really know at this point. We will know at some point. I can tell you that much. As of right now, I would lean towards Adam Thielen not playing just from a preparation standpoint if you have him in your fantasy lineups. I don't know for sure that he definitely won't play, but just the fact that we haven't heard much information about it, and he hasn't been at practice, I would lean towards him, most likely not. But if I have Adam Thielen in my lineups, I am making preparations as if I won't have him this upcoming week when I'm looking at my roster construction and my lineup in a pivotal week 12 here coming up. So Adam Thielen, we'll see what happens if he misses. Again, Justin Jefferson is a very high floor. He's going to have a lot of volume headed his way. On the flip side of that, of course, he will also have the entire attention of the secondary of the opposing team of the Carolina Panthers, who have actually played some decent defense over this past few weeks, especially when it comes to that secondary. They've been playing a lot better. So I don't believe he actually has the same ceiling that you've come to expect out of Justin Jefferson necessarily, but he will have a nice floor as a lot of the volume will head his way at the very least. So he becomes a wide receiver too in my book uh, if Adam Thielen is unable to go rather than being a high-end wide receiver three. Kyler Murray is expected to play. He's been practicing all week long. They've had they've pretty much stayed hold on. He's going to be able to be active and play there. That's the good news. You know that even if he's a little bit limited in throwing the football, if he's not as sharp there, he'll use his legs. From a fantasy standpoint, Kyler Murray, as long as he's active, is still a no-brainer, and it looks like that will be the case. Sony Michelle is going to be expected to play in this game. What that rotation is going to be between him and Damian Harris at this point, I think has to be anybody's guess. What I do know for sure, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday too, is that James White will have the passing down role pretty much all to himself. He's probably looking at at least seven targets in a game in which the Patriots are going to have to score points because I do believe that uh, you're going to see the Cardinals be able to put up a good amount of points even with a possibly limited Kyler Murray. I don't think it's going to really matter too much after watching what the Patriots defense has essentially become at this point. So they put him in that situation. I think Cam's going to have to dump the ball off a lot to James White. I love him in the flex uh, for full-point PPR leagues, even half-point PPR leagues. As far as Damian Harris and Sonny Michelle go, I would expect Harris to be the lead ball carrier. My big concern is how much do they split between the two? How much do they limit the ceiling of a Damian Harris by giving an X amount of workload to Sony Michelle. I would expect it to be Damian Harris leading the way, but how many carries that equalizes to, uh, really not going to be too sure about, honestly. So he has he is a running back three in my mind that has some risk due to an unexpected amount of volume going into this ball game. But because the Arizona Cardinals are not very good against the run, because Damian Harris has looked very good over the past few weeks, 
if they decide that Sony Michelle is not going to be a big thing in this game necessarily, and Harris gets 15 plus carries, he could have a very solid game. So that's why I still believe he's an RP3. I still believe he's a flex conversation, but he has a low floor if you're looking to try to plug and play him in your RB2 situation. And this one, I literally just got news about maybe 30 seconds ago. Uh, Savan Ahmed, who did not practice Wednesday, did not practice yesterday, is back at practice today, which is good news because from what I'm understanding, while Miles Gaskin has been limited at practice this week, there doesn't seem to be an expectation that they plan on bringing him back for this matchup against the New York Jets on Sunday. That it would be more likely that he would be able to make a return in Week 13. And so that would mean that Matt Breida was starting to look like he was going to be the bell cow back. But if Savan Ahmed is able to return to practice today, which looks like that was the situation, at least from the report that we just got a few seconds ago, he should still continue to be the lead back against the New York Jets, making him an automatic low-end RB2, if nothing else, if he's actually good to go because it's a great matchup. He's been able to play pretty solidly. He'll have a good chance to score in this game. So a low-end RB2 for Savan Ahmed now that he was able to get back out to practice. And we talked about Miles Gaskin a little bit already. So that is the injury updates from all the games that we talked about uh, in yesterday's show. Remember, go back on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you like to go. The MD's Fantasy Football Show, widely available to you. And you can go ahead and check that out and get all up to date for those early window of games and what our fantasy expectations are for those matchups. So now we can lead into the two Thanksgiving recap games that we did get to have yesterday between the Houston Texans, Detroit Lions, and between the Washington Football Club and the Dallas Cowboys. We'll lead it off with the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions in this game. Deshaun Watson didn't have to throw the ball very much, but he had a great game in this one. 318 yards, four touchdowns on 25 pass attempts. Wow. That was absolutely incredible what they were able to do. Went down the field. Wolf Fuller was Wolf Fuller was 100% dominant in this game. Just left wide open a couple of times. Had a couple of big touchdowns. 40-yarder was his longest one. Two touchdowns, six catches, 171 yards on seven targets. When you don't get covered, it makes the game pretty easy. And we all know Will Fuller is a big strike type of guy. And this was a great matchup. He's gonna probably that's probably gonna go down as the number as the wide receiver one performance of the week. I had him rated in the top ten to begin with. Will Fuller's gonna have a great game. And even Brandon Cooks, while he didn't have the big flashy game that Will Fuller wound up having, still a solid one in this one. Five targets, five catches, eighty-five yards. Honestly, I'm uh, if you're a Cooks owner, you're, you're a Will Fuller owner, obviously you're you're ecstatic about this. But even if you're Brandon Cooks owner, I'm pretty happy about this. Because you don't know when Randall Cobb's coming back. We're not really sure when Kenny Stills is coming back. But as long as those two guys remain out, Cooks will definitely be in a position to continue to be a guy who gets utilized in the slot, a guy who gets utilized in the perimeter. And in a game in which Deshaun Watson only threw the ball 25 times and Will Fuller went off, the fact that Brandon Cooks was still able to give a a decent floor in this game has to make you feel good about being able to plug and play Brandon Cooks as pretty much a wide receiver too at this point uh, moving forward. Maybe at worst a a high end wide receiver three, so it makes you feel good about that. Even on few targets, you know, or you know, on few pass attempts, I should say, you know where the targets are going. They're going to Fuller. They're going to Brandon Cooks. That is not going to change at all. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. Duke Johnson finally had a decent game in this one. Now, carrying the ball, it wasn't pretty. Only nine carries, 37 yards on the game. The Texans barely had to do anything on offense. There were so, so many big plays in this game. But Duke Johnson had a really great touchdown catch, 33 yards, three catches, 43 yards, and a touchdown total on the game on four targets. Talked about this leading up into this ball game, really every ball game that involves Duke Johnson. He has to get four to five targets in order to establish some sort of fantasy value because he has to be utilized in the receiving game. The guy's not a runner. He doesn't see the holes well. He's not a guy who's going to break a lot of tackles running between the t- running between the tackles, running through the line of scrimmage. It's not that's not his game. He needs to be out in the perimeter. He needs to be out in space. He needs to be utilized as a receiving back. They finally got to him a few times in this game, started utilizing him that way, and opened up for finally his first nice fantasy day now without David Johnson. Now, I believe it is next week that Johnson would be eligible to come off the IR. We're still unclear if that means he'll be back and active right away or not. Something we'll keep in mind, something we'll watch throughout the week next week and keep you up to date at BellyUpMDFF Show on Twitter. But for right now, Duke Johnson has to have this kind of work in the receiving game in order to be fantasy uh, relevant without David Johnson in there because it doesn't really matter that he's getting the bell cow workload compared to the rest of the running backs on this team because they just don't utilize the running back unit all that much and they're not giving him the same type of carries that they were giving David Johnson they're leaning more on Deshaun Watson and their offensive passing attack so he has to be involved in that capacity Duke Johnson to me as long as David Johnson is out is a matchup dependent RB3 even with the workload that he is seeing even after coming off of a decent game here because it was Detroit Lions which is probably the best matchup you could have unless you're on the other side of the ball of the Houston Texans which is the best matchup that you could have and speaking to that Adrian Peterson coming in to spell DeAndre Swift who was not able to get back from his concussion after we had some hope because he was practicing a limited capacity leading into the week comes in with two rushing touchdowns on the day not a particularly efficient day, 15 carries, 55 yards, but gets those two goal line touchdowns. So if you played Adrian Peterson in a pinch with DeAndre Swift out, he paid off for you in a really big way. Carryon Johnson actually didn't have that bad of a game either. 11 carries, 46 yards. He also tacked on four receptions for 52 yards in this game. Look, when DeAndre Swift comes back, I fully anticipate them going back to him as the bell cow guy. They were starting to get some traction as an offensive unit as a whole, having DeAndre Swift be the first, second, and third down running back. I don't expect that to change once he's able to return, but as long as he's out, we do know Adrian Peterson has this type of goal line touchdown capabilities 
and in spelling him so he becomes an RB3. But I do think there's a decent chance, being that DeAndre Swift was able to practice at a limited capacity, that we could see him again next week and he'll be back. And I do believe it's not going to go back to the three-man rotation that it was. It will be Swift's backfield because their offense as a whole was playing better with him being the lead dog. Uh, as far as Matthew Stafford goes, 28-42, 295 yards, a touchdown, an interception. He was okay. Uh, we went into that game. I talked about how Stafford was in the streaming territory of being ranked as QB 15 on the week, but doesn't really have the ceiling without a Kenny Galladay available to him. So I was kind of avoiding that. But I was going to play TJ Hawkinson, who had a nice game in this one. Five catches, 89 yards on eight targets. And I was going to play Marvin Jones, who frankly was a little bit disappointing. Now, you like the 12 targets. He was targeted all over the field. I mean, there was no Danny Amendola on top of there being no Kenny Galladay going into this game. So you knew Marvin Jones was going to have to be targeted at a significant rate, but only walks away with six catches for 48 yards. He didn't get in the end zone. Some of that had to do with the way the defense was playing him. There was a couple opportunities that he could have caught touchdowns, but they had on pass interference calls. He wasn't really able to get clear of the defender. So it kind of wound up working against him, unfortunately, in that sense. Not really the game you are hoping for out of a Marvin Jones against the Houston Texans in a situation where you had no Kenny Galladay, you had no Danny Amendola. He did get the target share that we were hoping for, but just didn't get in the end zone. Who did get in the end zone was, ironically, Mohamed Sanu. Uh, one touchdown, four catches, 32 yards, trying to spell in for Danny Amendola. That was what was really made even more frustrating in my mind is that not only did you not get the touchdown on Marvin Jones against the Houston Texans like you should have been able to, but it winds up going to Mohamed Sanu of all people. That's what made it even more frustrating. Will Kenny Galladay be back next week? Honestly, we don't know. He he would be, I would have to consider him doubtful at this point. Each of the past two weeks, he's been a limited participant on the first day of practice for the week and then winds up not practicing at all the next couple of days. That pattern has sustained over the past two weeks. He's going to have to practice all week long for him to have a chance to play next week. I do believe he's closer to a return rather than further away. I do believe that even with Detroit Lions out of the playoff race, they will still look to bring Kenny Galladay back because Matt Patricia is trying to find any way that he can be competitive because he's trying to find reasons to keep his job because he's pretty much going to be on the way out. Uh, They're not able to turn something around at the end of the season. So there's a good chance because of that, that if Kenny Galladay can go, they will make an effort to bring Kenny Galladay back because Matt Patricia has to find a way to try to save his job. So just something to kind of keep in mind there. I'm not worried about them deciding we're going to hold Kenny Galladay out until next season. So continue to hold him if you've had him. I do believe he'll be back at some point this season. But I would still say it's very questionable at best that that would be next week, however. So that wraps it up for the first Thanksgiving game. Now we got the second Thanksgiving game, which could not believe this wound up being a blowout. Blowout. Dallas have been playing more competently. They beat the Minnesota Vikings. They actually looked half decent against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're actually coming in as home favorites in this game. Washington, who's been, you know, just like every other team in the NFC East, has had some moments, but a lot of bad moments as well. Looked inefficient at times. And they came in and reminded everybody, hey, you know what? We can do whatever we want to do, especially that fourth quarter. The fourth quarter, the Dallas Cowboys flat out fell apart, especially defensively. Antonio Gibson went bananas on this defense. 20 carries, 115 yards, three touchdowns. Was the guy who just pretty much single-handedly put the nail in the coffin of the Dallas Cowboys in this game. Antonio Gibson is somebody who is a must-play. We had him ranked inside the top 10 this week because of the matchup, because of what kind of work he's been getting at the goal line 
But the big thing in this game, and we haven't seen this very often, he winds up with 20 carries. And that's what we need to see. We want to see Antonio Gibson start to be more of the guy. We want to see him start to be the bell cow guy on both passing downs and rushing downs. First, second, third down. That's what we want to see because Gibson's going to be the future of this team. He's looking more and more like a guy who can actually be a bell cow back. He offers them great playmaking ability. Outside of Terry McLaurin, he's probably their best offensive player. So we're kind of getting annoyed by seeing having to see J.D. McKissick get involved and some of these other guys get involved and them not really just you know, trusting to let Antonio Gibson be the guy. Well, they did in this game. Because Gibson, on top of his 20 carries, had five receptions for 21 yards and seven targets. Seven targets. That's the key. J.D. McKissick only had two targets in this game. Now, he actually wound up having one more extra receiving yard than Antonio Gibson did, or two catches, 21 yards. So the same amount of receiving yards on two catches. But seven to two targets. That is something we have not seen since Alex Smith has taken over at quarterback. Now, did part of that have to do with the fact that they were able to run away, or literally run away with this game in the fourth quarter? Perhaps. But until that fourth quarter, this game was still close. This game was only 20-16 to 16 heading into the fourth quarter. So it wasn't like, while Washington was leading pretty much this entire game, it wasn't like it was a blowout where they could just hand the ball off over and over and over again to Antonio Gibson. But I still question, if Washington falls into a situation where they're playing against a much better team and they fall behind early, what will happen then? Will they stick with Antonio Gibson as the guy, even when it comes to throwing the football to him, as it would suggest with him having seven targets in this game? Or will you go back to J.D. McKissick with Alex Smith in that kind of a game script situation? That's a question that still has to be answered for us to know and feel confident about whether or not Antonio Gibson truly is going to be the bell cow guy on all three downs in all game script situations. That we still do not know, even coming out of this game. It looked promising for Antonio Gibson. It was good to see him finally get involved in every aspect of this game, but that question still is going to have to be answered in one of these upcoming weeks before we know for sure that Gibson is the guy in the passing game, no matter what the game script is. So something we'll have to keep our eyes on moving forward that I'm not so confident on to say that he's definitely the bell cow guy. We saw, we even saw Peyton Barber get 11 carries 57 yards in this game. We haven't seen him be involved in this offense really at all in a long time. Not something I'm really concerned about. Washington was just able to run and run and run the football quite consistently throughout this entire game. That had more to do with that than it did with Peyton Barber having to worry about him suddenly becoming a thing moving forward. Terry McLaurin was solid in this game. He didn't have the big game that we were expecting him to have. Nine targets, seven catches, 92 yards. Against Dallas with Terry McLaurin, the way he's been playing, with the way Alex Smith has been targeting him, you're kind of going into this game thinking that you were probably going to walk away with 100 yards and touchdown. Fortunately, that does not happen. But it just shows you that even in games where maybe he disappoints a little bit because you're looking for more of a ceiling, he still has one of the highest floors in the NFL with the way that they're utilizing him and his talent. I love Terry McLaurin so much. He's going to have bigger games for you throughout the week, and he's definitely not going to lose you the week based on a 7-catch, 92-yard performance either. So your disappointment of him not having the big game is not going to be that great considering he still gave you a solid performance at the end of the day. Now we switch over to the Dallas Cowboys. And before we get into anything about the Cowboys, the number one thing that we had to take out of this game is that, unfortunately, Zach Martin got hurt again. And I don't know if he's when he's going to be back, if he can be back this season, or if he'll be back next week. We'll keep an eye on that because 
I talked about this last week. I said Ezekiel Elliott can now return to an RB1 form and maybe, maybe even a top five RB1 form now that Zach Martin was back, now that that offensive line was going to be able to function at a much more competent level uh, with him back into the lineup and be able to create holes and therefore create play action for Andy Dalton, which helps out all the other fantasy-relevant Cowboys. This is how big of an impact Zach Martin has. He went down early in this game, and all of a sudden, they couldn't... They, and I'm just getting a news alert. I do want to put that out there right now. Genie Mike Bernard practicing again today. If he does more today, if he does more Saturday, it looks like he might be back. So just a quick update that came through our desk just now. Uh, but getting back to Ezekiel Elliott, without Zach Martin there, this offensive line goes back to having trouble opening up holes, pretty much putting it on Zeke's shoulders to try to make something happen, and he saw it. He went down early in this game, Zach Martin that is, and all of a sudden Washington couldn't run the ball very effectively. And because they couldn't run the ball very effectively, there wasn't a very effective play action, and Andy Dalton was only very, very mediocre in this game, even through a pick six in this game, 215 yards and one touchdown. All of those things track back to Zach Martin being out. So very, very crucial to see exactly what his status is going to be moving forward because now you went from having hope that Ezekiel Elliott could rebound right before your playoff race to now we're back to is Ezekiel Elliott really anything more than a volume-based RB2? And now we're also at the point where we're probably past your trade deadlines at this point. Week 12 is like the last week, normally speaking, for a lot of these leagues who have later on trade deadlines it's probably passed by now. So now all of a sudden you can't trade Ezekiel Elliott away based on his name value. That's why you're hoping he was going to be able to make this return back to RB1 form with Zach Martin back in the lineup. We'll have to wait and see what happens here. But if Zach Martin's out for any length of time or the rest of the season or next week, Ezekiel Elliott to me is nothing more than a high volume RB2 and matchup dependent, quite frankly, on what his ceiling is going to be. Because that's what we've seen so far with this offensive line in shambles. Now, Amari Cooper... If that wants to be the case, I mean, Amari Cooper, to me, is the only trustworthy play. He had a nice, he had a great game in this one. Six catches, 112 yards, a touchdown. A really nice 54-yard touchdown play between him and Andy Dalton. A big plays that we haven't seen this year. We haven't seen Amari Cooper be asked to get down the field and be the big play guy. They haven't really given him that opportunity because they've just been working him in as a security blanket and allowing C.D. Lamb or Michael Gallup to run down the field more often than not, they this and that 54-yard touchdown was not the only time throughout that game where they tried to take some shots to Amari Cooper actually down the field a little bit. I like the aggressiveness. I think they need to utilize him more in that capacity because he can do a little bit of everything. He's not just a big Larry Fitzgerald who's getting paid $20 million a year. I mean, it was essentially how they've been kind of utilizing him so far this season. That's not what he is. That's not that guy. So it was good to see Amari Cooper finally get back to being down the field, getting the attack, and we all know that with Andy Dalton, he looks for Amari Cooper first. So Cooper has a high floor because more times than not, he'll be the top targeted guy. And he tied with Michael Gallup here, eight targets apiece as being the top targeted wide receivers in this game. Gallup walked away with six catches, 41 yards. The big disappointment, of course, being CeeDee Lamb. Only five catches for 21 yards in this game. Seven targets, though. CeeDee Lamb's still looking to be the big play guy, but I think you're going to have to, especially if Zach Martin's going to be out. And I talked about this. If Zach Martin's going to be out. The play action gets affected. I think CeeDee Lamb is somebody who has to be a boom or bust wide receiver four in your mind because he doesn't have the same floor of an Amari Cooper because he doesn't have that same guaranteed target share, that same security blanket type of role that Amari Cooper has within this offense. So even when Dallas Cowboys are not playing competently like they didn't at the end of this game especially, 
he can still perform for you. CeeDee Lamb's going to be a boom or bust type of guy, I believe, moving forward in your lineup. Something we'll have to keep our eyes on, especially when it comes to Zach Martin in that offensive line. All right, so what we're going to do now, we'll take a little bit of a quick break, come back on the other side. We have all the late window of games coming up in Week 12, the late afternoon games, the Sunday night game, the Monday night game. We have all that to talk about. And, of course, we have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show. If you ever want to be on the mailbag segment, all you have to do is hit us up with a question or a comment at Show on Facebook or on Twitter. But we have all that for you guys coming up later on in the show. So just stay tuned with us right after these messages. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We've been talking about the Thanksgiving recaps We've been talking about all the injury updates from yesterday's episode, going for the late or the early window of games in that episode. And you can always check that out on the WWSRN app on iOS or Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android or your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you like to go for your content. We are widely available to you, and I suggest you go ahead and go back and check that out for those early preview games but we're talking about the late window of games now the late afternoon games the Sunday night game the Monday night game our fantasy expectations the injury updates for these games heading into the weekend make sure you check us out on bellyupfantasysports.com for those rankings that will be up to date by Sunday morning will be up to date throughout the weekend as well we have a lot of things we're gonna have to put back on there we're getting some interesting news coming out of the injury department I did have some news come out during that break there that I do want to go over you guys really quickly uh, Lane Johnson is going to be out for the rest of the year, so that means the Eagles' offensive line will continue to be in shambles for the rest of the 2020 season, quite frankly, and that's going to affect guys like Miles Sanders and Carson Wentz and all the receiver guys moving forward. We'll talk about that game in a little while because that's the Monday night game uh, for this show. And then uh, we had some confirmation that Savant Ahmed did return to practice today. Sounds like he might be in full. Sounds like he's going to be to go. And that Genevieve Bernard is now gone from being very, very questionable to being expected to play on Sunday. So a lot of developments there. Uh, the big thing that we're still looking for is the Josh Jacobs report update. That may not come until after the show. So just make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter or on Facebook, and we'll get you going as far as what's going on uh, with Josh Jacobs. But now we can get into the first game at the late hour, which is the Saints and the Denver Broncos. Saints going on the road to Denver we got to see our first taste of Taysom Hill last week as the quarterback. And I have to say, overall, I was pretty impressed because I wasn't sure what we were going to get as far as his passing capabilities went. And there was times where it didn't look pretty, for sure, especially early on in that first half. But as he kind of got settled in into that game, he targeted Michael Thomas on a consistent basis. He wasn't afraid to take shots down the field while he had one really kind of meme-ish, like, laughable throw down the field where it was pretty much a duck, 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 and Emmanuel Sanders had to pretty much come back, you know, 15 yards, come back to the ball to come get it because it was so drastically underthrown. He did have a play where he should have hit Emmanuel Sanders on a 50-plus yard bomb, and it was a beautifully thrown ball, a beautiful, a beautifully caught ball. It was definitely a touchdown. Gets called back on a holding penalty, but he showed that, you know what, if he 
is able to set his feet. He does have enough arm strength to launch it down the field. That's something he's not going to be afraid to do. He's not going to be afraid of aggressive when the opportunity presents itself. So when you mix that along with the fact that you know he's going to run and you know, kind of like a Cam Newton, he's going to be a factor at the goal line. Well, then that offers up Taysom Hill having a pretty decent floor, even going on the road against the Denver Broncos in this one, who I know defensively had a great game last week. But the thing about the Denver Broncos is that they have not been consistent on either side of the ball, really, this entire season. But two, the best way to move the ball against them is to kind of throw the ball, and they kind of utilize that play action and get Taysom Hill out on the edge. I believe they should have some success against this Denver Bronco defense, and like pretty much any game that Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback, he's going to have the potential for rushing touchdowns. And you know he's going to be utilized in some capacity to that way. I know that they have a big emphasis on him not taking unnecessary hits while he's actually the quarterback. Uh, But still, at the end of the day, the nature of his game is to be an athlete, is to be a playmaker. That's not going to go away. And as you saw last week against the Atlanta Falcons, they are going to still be willing to use him in power sweep type of situations. They put a big jumbo formation in there last week, and their full plan was to use Taysom Hill as as a goal line runner in that situation. So they're not going to be afraid to do those type of things, even with Taysom Hill now being the starting quarterback. Uh, Frankly, in my opinion, until further notice, I know they kept saying maybe two to three weeks for Drew Brees. He's on IR now, so it's going to be at least two weeks from now. With with them consistently coming out with all of these fractures and a punctured lung, I mean, it sounds like the guy's entire rib cage is pretty much fractured at this point. I don't see how he's back in a few weeks. I would really be surprised, honestly, if he was back before the playoffs. So I really, truly think Taysom Hill might be the starting quarterback of the Saints moving forward. And I think he's his top, you know, high floor streaming option in that time because of his rushing capabilities. Because there's a lot of weapons on this offense, it also offers him a higher floor than I think he probably would normally have in any other team as far as passing the football goes, too. Uh, So Taysom Hill actually comes in at QB 13 for me on the week. I feel pretty good about him being a high floor streamer if you've been going that route anyway with Taysom Hill here. In fact, I have more faith in what Taysom Hill will give me from a fantasy standpoint on the road in Denver than I probably would with Drew Brees, quite honestly, with the way he's played this season and being on the road and everything like that. So, yeah, I'm okay if you're firing up Taysom Hill. Remember, it's QB 13, so just outside of my QB ones, but definitely a guy you can consider depending on what it is you're looking for in your roster construction this week. Now, here's the problem. Because he is a factor at the goal line, and because we saw for the first time ever Alvin Kamara not get a reception while being healthy and out on the field. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. 
Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. There is a now a whole new floor that goes to Alvin Kamara that we never thought would be possible before. Because what we saw last week, and Kamara was, apparently was a little bit banged up. He's been limited in practice all week long uh, with a toe issue. He's going to be good to go, though. He was still able to get on the practice field. We still fully expect him to be able to play on Sunday. But he's still splitting carries, essentially, with Latavius Murray. Now, I don't know if Sean Payton and Taysom Hill are going to make a more concerted effort on their part to make sure that Alvin Kamara gets targeted in this game against the Denver Broncos. Not just because he's Alvin Kamara and that's what he does, but because this offense is better when Alvin Kamara is a big factor in the passing game with his playmaking ability when he's out there on the edge just as an effective receiver. And really, he should be a tremendous security blanket to make things really easy on Taysom Hill, too, because you can dump it off and you don't have to throw very far. You can get great games because he's Alvin Kamara. So it makes every sense in the world that maybe they'll make more of an effort to make sure he's involved in this game plan, um, unlike last week where it seemed like there was the effort was made to make sure Michael Thomas knew that just because this isn't Drew Brees, you're still going to be able to get the football. So we'll see what happens there, but you still have to be very concerned that for the first time in Alvin Kamara's career with Taysom Hill at quarterback, he wound up going for zero receptions. So there's a whole new floor going into this game for Alvin Kamara. He just doesn't normally have. It's already not a great matchup for running backs on the ground as it is either. And between that and Taysom Hill being a goal line vulture, I'm not. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that you have to, you're going to bench Alvin Kamara. That's not what I'm. Don't get it twisted. You you have to start Alvin Kamara. But what I am saying is that. His days of being a counted-on top-five RB1 really may be in question now with Taysom Hill at the quarterback position. We're going to be watching this game very intently to see what the game plan is and what they do to maybe rectify or change from what they did the first week against the Atlanta Falcons with Taysom Hill quarterback last week. Now, what we do know is that Michael Thomas is definitely the number one target for Taysom Hill, and he's not afraid to throw him the football, and he will throw him the football pretty consistently throughout this game. So I think Michael Thomas here, good matchup, because like I said, against Denver Broncos, throwing the football on the perimeter is the way to attack this defense. I think Michael Thomas is a very safe floor in this game. I don't know how high scoring of a game this is going to be. Saints defense is playing much better over the past few weeks. I think with Taysom Hill, their overall philosophy, and I talked about that going into last week's game, and it pretty much proved true in my eyes, that their overall philosophy is going to be control the ball and play good defense. Now their defense is back and healthy and playing more up to the level that we frankly expected them to be able to play since the beginning of the season. We just didn't see it until the past uh, few weeks or so now. So I think between that and that it's going to be in Denver, Denver having a solid defense, I think there's a chance here this winds up being kind of a low-scoring game. So I don't think you can go into it with the idea that Michael Thomas has a huge ceiling unless he's able to find the end zone, but he definitely has a floor, I believe, of at least 80 yards in this game with, with at least five to six receptions and could easily get more than that if he can find his way into the end zone or if he gets double-digit targets again like he did a week ago where he becomes a focal point of Taysom Hill, he could easily have more than that too. So just Michael Thomas has a great floor. He's going to be a high-end uh, wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one, like he will be for me for most weeks, quite frankly. Comes in at wide receiver 13 for me on the week, so very high-end wide receiver two, just missing outside that wide receiver one level in the top 12. 
uh, you'll be fine with him. Like I said, with, with him, you, the good news is, the good feeling you had is that he had his best game of the year. He had his most targets on the year with Taysom Hill at quarterback. So you're not as concerned about the change from Breeze to Hill in this situation. However, you should be concerned about Jared Cook. I don't think Jared Cook is a guy you can play. Not only was he not involved in the offense at all last week, but even with Drew Brees, this is a guy who's been hardly involved in the offense so far this season. While the tight end landscape has absolutely 100% been a complete mess for everybody, I don't see why you can't find somebody who at least has a more of a chance to score a touchdown or at least more of a chance to get five-plus targets at the tight end position than a Jared Cook out there available in a week where there's no bye weeks to begin with. You should be able to find somebody who at least has a better floor with the opportunities you can expect from them uh, than uh, Jared Cook would be for you. So I'm not playing Jared Cook. Uh, just a quick tidbit on Manuel Sanders. It was good to see that the two shots that they took were both to Sanders last week. I know this is a on paper a bit of a revenge matchup. The expected target share, it's just not there for me to be wanting to play in Emmanuel Sanders, even in a game that could be a revenge here uh, narrative for him. He's somebody who really is just more of a wide receiver five. You're not really going to be looking to play uh, in your lineup, especially since this is in Denver and not in uh, New Orleans. So let's move on to the Denver side of the football where Drew Locke's going to play. He's going to be good to go. I don't feel really particularly great about any of these players that you might be considering from a fantasy standpoint. Melvin Gordon, Phil Lindsay obviously would be the top guys that you're trying to consider whether or not you should play them. But even when the Saints weren't playing good defense, you still couldn't really run the ball effectively against them. Some running backs have had success in the receiving game. But even so, like I said, I expect this to be a low-scoring game. I don't expect to be able to run the ball particularly effectively. And while they both had good games last week, we've had plenty of weeks now where the Denver Bronco rushing attack has just been ineffective, even in better matchups than playing against the New Orleans Saints. I have Melvin Gordon at RB27, so I have him as a higher-end RB3. I think you can still play him as a flex because the expected volume he's going to get between the carries and the passing game. Even if he splits carries with Philip Lindsay, we know he'll be much more involved in the passing game. And that's actually where running backs have had some success is when they receive the ball out of the backfield against these linebackers. So Melvin Gordon, I think, has an okay floor heading into this matchup. I just It's not going to be what it was last week. He's not going to score three touchdowns. I can guarantee you that. But I think you're going to have to hope for him to fall into the end zone in order for him to give you an RB2 performance that you would hope for out of Melvin Gordon on a week-to-week basis. I just think there's going to be a lower floor out of him coming into this game. I would not play Philip Lindsay because Lindsay's not involved in the passing game, because he's fully dependent on what he can give you in the rushing attack, and it's usually at best 50-50 with Melvin Gordon as far as those carries, usually a, f- a few less carries than a Melvin Gordon. Uh, there's just not a ceiling to be had there in this match against the Saints where I would be considering playing Philip Lindsay at all in my flex position if you were looking to go that route. So that brings us to the wide receivers. Noah Fant, I think, is the only must-play for the Denver Broncos. We'll get that out the way. He's a top-10 tight end. Even though it's not pretty, his talent alone will continue to make him a top-10 tight end, I think, no matter what the matchup is. Even though it's not a great one here, I have him as uh, actually I have him as top-12 this week, but still a tight end one for those 12-team leagues. The big question is the wide receivers. Who Can you play any of these wide receivers? Because, again, it's not going to be a great matchup. Marshawn Lattimore, I do believe, is supposed to be back this week, so that means he'll probably be on Tim Patrick, I would, I would say, most of the time. Uh, plays more in the perimeter of where Marshawn Lattimore plays, has been more of the bigger play wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, the guy who's playing the Cortland Sutton role. There's not much of a ceiling when it comes to these Denver Broncos wide receivers, I believe, in this matchup. I think guys like Tim Patrick and guys like Jerry Judy have now gotten to the point where there are certain matchups that you can play them. 
and you can you can expect a decent floor, and you expect targets out of them. You know what their roles are going into it. This is not a game in which I'm looking to attack uh, at all for the Denver Broncos. So outside of Mel Gordon, outside of Noah Fant, in a week in which there's no more bye weeks, or isn't bye weeks at least for this week, I would have to think that you can find better plays than a Tim Patrick who comes in as a mid-level wide receiver for a Jerry Judy who's about in the same territory for me this week as well than having to go in either one of those directions really for for this match against the Saints. So Melvin Gordon, okay, RB3. Noah Fant, a low-end tight end one just given the landscape. Outside of that, I'm not really looking to attach myself to any Denver Broncos for this game against the Saints with the way their defense has been playing as of late, which has been tremendous and back up to snuff, quite frankly. So let's move into our next game. Let's move into the 49ers. Let's move into the Los Angeles Rams. This game going into Los Angeles. First time these two teams met, the San Francisco 49ers actually put the smackdown on the Los Angeles Rams, and they're coming out of the bye week this week. Now, there's still the same JV version of the 49ers that we're having to see because of the injuries, but they may have some reinforcements on the way. Raheem Mostert uh, may be back. Tevin Coleman may be back. They're both listed as day-to-day Here's what I will say. I started off the week fully expecting Raheem Moser to definitely be back this week. However, he's only been able to practice in a limited capacity Wednesday and Thursday. We won't find, because they're on the West Coast, we're not going to find out until later on in the day what he's able to do today. And while he's been designated to return, they still have not activated him as of yet off the IR. Um, because I was, I was expecting him to be able to come in and have a NBA full participant in practice at some point this week. Now, maybe if he's able to do that today, then he'll definitely be good to go, and he'll have that full participant practice under his belt. And as a result of that, I have Raheem Mostert as somebody who is a must-play, is an RB2 heading into this ball game. I have him an RB23. Uh, while it's not a great matchup on paper against the Rams with the way they've been playing, especially in the run defense game, we know what Raheem Mostert can do, and we know how much the 49ers offense need a next-level playmaker in their offense right now with no George Kittle. They're not going to have Brandon Ayuk. He's on the COVID reserve list. Debo Samuel himself is also day-to-day. We'll talk about his fantasy value in a little bit. No Trent Williams in this game, so they're not, they're, their offensive line is not going to be as sharp as it normally is. They need that next-level game, so, game maker. So if, if Raheem Moster is back in this lineup at all, I do expect him to be the workload guy. I expect him to be the guy they lean on to generate the majority of their offensive production in this game. That's why I still have him as an RB2, but I am a little bit concerned because he's not coming back as strong on the practice field as I was expecting him to at this point. So we're going to have to see what happens. Still listed day to day. We may not get a true update until we get into the weekend. So make sure you're following us at Billy Up MDFF Show because we'll keep you up to date there. Tevin Coleman, from what I understand, they seem to be leaning that he'll be expected to go, although. He's kind of in the same boat of Raheem Oster because he's been limited to practice and considered day-to-day as well this entire week. But from what I hear, Coleman has maybe more of a chance to suit up. They feel more confident about him being on Sunday than Moster at the moment. So just a situation we're going to have to watch when it comes to this backfield. Here's what I will say. Let's, let's run down the scenario where Moster does not play and it's Tevin Coleman and it's Jarek McKinnon and maybe a Jeff Wilson or, you know, we'll see exactly what happens with Jeff because he's kind of in the same boat as Raheem Mostert this week as well. He, yeah, Disney for return, been limited in practice, not 100% sure if he's going to be activated or not either. Uh, I don't know if I'm touching the 49ers backfield if it's not named Raheem Mostert in this matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. I would expect that if Mostert doesn't go and we see an active Coleman, we see an active McKinnon, we'll see McKinnon more involved in the passing game, Coleman more involved in the rushing game. 
I, without Trent Williams, I do not believe in those guys' skill sets with where they're at in their careers at this moment to be able to be effective, I think, to actually want to play them in fantasy, uh, fantasy as a flex or as a low in RB2. I think it has to be Raheem Mostert. And it's really just because of given his big play ability, no matter who he's playing against. Because again, without Trent Williams, there's not going to be as many running as running lanes as you would think there would be for the 49ers. Now, because they're coming off the bye, and they kind of knew from the get-go that they weren't going to have Williams from this game, I do believe Kyle Shanahan is a good schematic coach who may have come up with some alternatives during the bye week of how they can get start still be able to attack the edges. But the Rams' defense has been playing very well as of late and knows this edge-running offense well. One, because they play San Francisco every year. But two, because their offense itself has kind of adapted a lot of these similar concepts this season with Sean McVay adapting a lot of what Kyle Shanahan has done as far as attacking the edge. If they don't have Trent Williams, there might not be as many lanes open either. So you're playing Raheem Mostert based on his big play ability. We still expect Nick Mullins to be the starting quarterback. Like I said, Ayuk, he's probably not going to play this game. So Debo Samuel... If he is able to go, he's still only been limited in practice. He's still not a sure thing in and of himself. But he may be thrust back into an interesting spot where they have to lean on him as the number one pass catcher on this team. That is going to be the difficult part, uh, quite frankly. So will Debo be somebody who's fantasy relevant in this game? I don't really. I wouldn't really want to play him. Number one is the second injury that he's coming off of. Debo, there's no way on earth that Debo Samuel is up to snuff as far as being in complete total midseason game shape uh, for all four quarters. I just don't see it, and they may have to lean on him quite a bit. He may have a decent floor because of that, but I'm not going to play him. He's not going to have a high ceiling against the Rams in this matchup. It's one of those where if I've been stashing him, I'll hold him to see how he looks in this game. I'll see if he's up to snuff and everything like that, but I'm not going to look to play Debo Samuel this upcoming week if I can at all help it. The only guy I'm going to take a little interesting note of is Jordan Jordan Reed. And again, don't love the matchup against the Rams, but just out of necessity, where I see the targets going when you break everything down, that Reed might have the highest floor when it comes to the targets as far as all the pass catchers go in this ball game. I don't expect a, tic- a particularly big ceiling, but if you were to tell me that Jordan Reed would get seven plus targets in this game and get five receptions for 60 yards and maybe get worked in in the red zone, maybe get a touchdown. Really would not surprise me. He comes in as a top 10 tight end for me on the week here. Uh, tight end five, actually, all the way up there because of the ex- just the expected volume that I could see him easily having in this game. It won't be pretty. It won't be down the field. But I expect him to have a high floor with his expected volume in this game considering what they have left at the offensive position, especially if they don't have a Raheem Mostert to lean on uh, to, going into this matchup either. So a lot of things up in the air for San Francisco I'll look for Jordan Reed. I'll play Raheem Mostert. Outside of that, I don't know there's too many other guys that I'm going to really want to have to play that are attached to the 49ers in this game. And we move over to the Rams. It's kind of a hard team to gauge right now because they played great against Tampa Bay. They had a good game, but not a huge fantasy game against the Seattle Seahawks. The last time they played the San Francisco 49ers, it was absolutely horrendous on every level when it came to the pass catchers, when it came to golf, when it came to Woods, when it came to Cooper Cup. So you kind of get left with that feeling of, oof, what do you do here? Look, here's what I will say. With the way they've been targeting and utilizing Robert Woods and Cooper Cup over the past few weeks, and when they, going back to Miami Dolphin game, then they had the bye week, and then Seattle, Tampa Bay, 
there's been a more concerted effort, I believe, on Sean McVay's part to try to get these guys a little bit more work down the field. But also, because Josh Reynolds has kind of been able to establish himself as a deep threat wide receiver and establish himself enough to the point where the Rams have kind of gotten back to playing more three receiver sets, where at the beginning of the year they were playing a lot, they were still trying to play a lot of two tight end sets. They've kind of gone away from that for some bit. There's been more three receiver sets on the field for the Rams than there was earlier on in the season. They've been playing more up-tempo offense because they just realized Jared Goff is just that much better in an up-tempo situation. I think at least, at the very least, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup have solid floors heading into this matchup. And because it's at home and at Los Angeles, Jared Goff tends to play a bit better when he's at home, and therefore the entire offense has the opportunity to play a bit better. This 49ers defense is still solid. Even even missing all their pieces, it sounds like Richard Sherman's actually going to make a return to the field this week. But even missing as many guys they have on that defensive line, they've still been a very, very solid team, a very solid defensive team throughout. So this isn't a game where I'm expecting Cooper Cup or Robert Woods to have a huge ceiling, but I do have Robert Woods as a high-end wide receiver two. I do have Cooper Cup as a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two, just because of the way they've been utilized. They've established more of a floor. Their floor plays in this one. If either one of them gets in the red zone, you're going to be really happy with their performances. I think they can be in your lineups, but I'm not expecting big ceilings out of them, even though they just had a great performance against Tampa Bay. Because the 49ers coming off of a bye week, because their defense is still solid, and because, frankly, the 49ers tend to play very, very well against the Rams, no matter what the state of their team is, and no matter where the game is at in and of itself as well. This is going to be a tough divisional game. So I think you're still going to be playing Woods and playing Cup in your fantasy lineups for the most part, but I'm just not looking for those big ceiling games that you saw maybe necessarily against Tampa Bay last week, even though that was supposed to be, on paper at least, a solid defense within and of itself. As far as the running back crew goes, look, 49ers are still one of the top defenses against the run. I mean that that hasn't changed. Even with all their all their injuries, they are still a very hard defense to be able to run the football on. We saw last week that was one part of the Rams offense that did not perform very well against Tampa Bay, who's also very hard to run the football on. I don't expect there to be much. You have a three man rotation here on top of it. If I can all avoid playing Darrell Henderson, which if I have to play a Rams running back, that's the guy I would be considering. But if I can at all avoid playing Darrell Henderson this week, I absolutely 100% would just leave him on the bench. I would not play a Rams running back in this game against San Francisco 49ers if I can at all help it. And even in Jared Goff's standpoint here, I think you should have better options available to you. I'm not going to look to stream him in this game in particular. All you're really looking for is him to play well enough at home to keep Robert Woods and Cooper Cup fantasy relevant, and that's about it. Uh, that's all I would really want to play. When it comes to the tight end situation, whether it's Tyler Higby or Gerald Everett, they're not involving the tight ends like they were at the end of the last season. So they're not fantasy relevant at all either. So now we can go ahead. We can move into our next matchup here on our late slate of games. We move into the Tampa Bay, the Kansas City Chiefs game, with the game that will probably, because of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ravens game being in limbo, will probably be the game of the week. And I'm getting some news now just coming across the desk. Let's hit that breaking news sounder, actually, before we get into the Chiefs and uh, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game real quickly. Breaking news. Just getting word now that the Rams organization had two positive COVID tests. As far as whether it was a player or as far as whether it was staff, still to be determined. We are getting news right now that they did have two positive COVID tests. So how that will affect the Rams 
who's going to be a high-risk contact as a result of that, who, what, who it was that tested positive, uh, all to be seen. We'll have to find out exactly what's going on. Practice today was canceled out of caution. Still trying to find out whether it was players or coaching staff. That is the news that we are getting across our desk right here, right now. So just talking about the Rams, that game, those players, who's going to be available is now all of a sudden coming up in limbo because anybody who tested positive will definitely be out no matter what. But anybody at this point who gets labeled as a high-risk contact because we're on Friday will also automatically be out. They will not have enough time to be able to come back for this game. So big implications here. We'll keep you up to date throughout the weekend as far as this goes at Belly Up MDFF Show. But that coming across our desk right here right now. All right, so now let's try to move into the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Buccaneers game. COVID, of course, always keeping us on our toes at an annoying rate. The Chiefs pretty straightforward like they are every single week. Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, obviously all must plays, all leads at their position. I think the one thing that I, I think I talked about this in the, the recap show on Tuesday when we had the Monday night recap and the waiver wire report that Tampa Bay defense schematic wise is playing very, very oddly at the moment. Todd Bowles, typically speaking, is an aggressive coach who likes to play a lot of man, likes to play a lot of blitz packages, and he likes to go after the quarterback. The past two weeks now, especially that I've noticed, they've been playing a lot more soft zone. That's a big reason why you saw the Rams' offense perform the way that it did. Jared Goff, who didn't even have Andrew Whitworth back there to be able to protect him, had all kinds of time to throw the football, and with the motions that they were using, that's why Robert Woods and Cooper Cup had such big days. They can tear up zone defense, especially that soft zone defense that Todd Bowles was running. And it wasn't like it was just last week. It wasn't like it was some kind of game plan that they came up for the Rams. They ran it the week before, too. If Tampa Bay comes out and runs a soft zone against the Kansas City Chiefs because they don't want to give up the big play, quote-unquote, Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey will eat them alive. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Something we're, you know, obviously what exactly a team's game plan is going to be is not something we see come to fruition until they're actually out there on the field. But just because they've run it the last two weeks, there's a reasonable expectation that maybe they continue to do that against the Chiefs. They'll get torn alive. So while this on paper could look like a decent defensive matchup against Kansas City, where are like, oh, well, maybe do I have as high of a ceiling out of a Mahomes, out of a Hill, out of a Kelsey? My answer to that is 100% yes. You have just as high of a ceiling as you would against anybody else because of the way schematically Tampa Bay is playing right now. It just doesn't make any sense to me. We'll see if that changes against Kansas City. Maybe they'll make more of an effort to go after Patrick Holmes and change their approach. But it's been the past couple of weeks now. They do it one more time. Chiefs are going to light up some points on this scoreboard going into this game. I think the only questions really become the running backfield, you know, because Tampa Bay, no matter what 
what schematic defense they're playing are a very difficult team to run on. We saw last week, while CEH had a big fantasy day because he had the two rushing touchdowns, he still only had 14 carries for 69 yards last week. That was against the Raiders, who are terrible against the running back. You could, you could run the ball all day long on them if you so choose to. The only silver lining out of last week was that the Chiefs remembered to get the running backs involved in the game plan in general, but it still wasn't at the clip that he wanted to see. I offered my concern as to... You know, that I still thought it was a bit it was a bit concerning that CEH only got 14 carries in that game, uh, even though it was a much better fantasy day. Do I think you still have to play Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Yeah, probably. I can't see how you have a better option, quite frankly, but I definitely am going to have a low floor expectation. And I have him more as a high end RB three than I do as an RB two heading into this week. I have an RB twenty six heading into this game. It's because I don't expect him to see a lot of great numbers on the ground against Tampa Bay in this one. We haven't seen any team really run that well against Tampa Bay this year, past few years, quite frankly. So unless CEH is going to be heavily involved in the passing game, and that ends up in its own slew of issues because Le'Veon Bell still gets worked in, and in the passing area, Daryl Williams still seems to have a role as well. It just limits his ability, his opportunities, even in that capacity of it, and I think that's the only way he gives you a decent floor in this game, too. So there's a low floor expectation on Clyde that was a lair. I, I would even argue to the point where if, if somehow you had another option you could go to who's in a better situation to be an RB2 this week and you can go with the wide receiver in the flex, I would maybe entertain that idea. I don't know if you're going to have a better option than that depending on what your roster construction is, but Clyde edwards Lair is an RB3. That means he's not an automatic must play for me heading into this week just given the matchup and given him the rotation that we're seeing out of the Kansas City backfield. And the only other news with the Kansas City Chiefs to talk about is that Sammy Watkins, we expected him back last week. Of caution, I guess they held him out for one more week. But they've been pretty aggressive in Sammy Watkins will play this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He comes in as a wide receiver three, if that's the case. Does that affect Hill and Kelsey? Maybe they don't get the absurd amount of targets that they've seen the past couple of weeks. Because it's not just that they've been getting double-digit targets. Hill had 21 targets, I believe it was, before their bye week. They both had a crazy amount of targets this past week. Maybe they're more towards the 7 and 10 range than they are the you know 10-plus range out of targets. But we all know with Patrick Holmes in this offense, all three of these guys could get nine targets, and all three of these guys could go for 100 yards on touchdown with the way they operate here. I'm not too worried about that. Watkins would walk in as a wide receiver three in my book. And frankly, he might actually open up some opportunities for Hill and Kelsey because the one guy you don't really want to see too often is Carlton Davis. If Watkins comes back in here, that's who he's going to probably be matched up on because that's the side of the field he lines up on. Carlton Davis doesn't follow into the slot, so I don't expect him to follow Tyreek Hill around the field either. So I think it's going to be Sammy Watkins he winds up seeing most of the time, uh, which maybe limits what Sammy Watkins can do ceiling-wise but keeps intact the kind of performances you've been getting out of Tyreek Hill and a Travis Kelsey as well. I want to hit the breaking news sounder one more time. We just got some more news. Breaking news. Todd Gurley did not practice today, so I would say it's a pretty much a certainty that you're going to see Brian Hill out there against the Raiders this upcoming week with the news that Todd Gurley once again did not practice. So keep that in mind if you're a Todd Gurley owner or if you're just looking for another running back to be able to play, it sounds like he is going to be available and out there as a starting running back because Gurley did not practice at all this week. I'd be surprised if he was going to be able to go now after that. And, oh, my, my goodness, we have to hit another another breaking news sounder. Breaking news. DJ Chark, 
Chris Conley, Sidney Jones, not these fantasy relevant, and Andrew Norwell, the guard, all this for the Jacksonville Jaguars, have been ruled out for Sunday. Woo-wee. Well, if you have the Cleveland Browns defense, you are going to have a heck of a time because now all they have to game plan for is to take out James Robinson. They're not going to have anything else offensively. Gardner Minshew, they say, is questionable, but they pretty much already made the announcement that Mike Glennon was going to be the starter this week. And no DJ Chark, no Chris Conley. That means Keelan Cole is going to be the lead guy. LaVisca Chenault is going to be a lead guy. I'm not Even with Denzel Ward out, the way this Cleveland Browns defense has been able to play as of late, with the way they've been able to control the ball, even James Robinson's ceiling is going to take a little bit of a hit here. We had him at RB8 when we talked about him last week. He might get pushed maybe outside my top 10 a little bit here. He's still going to have a high floor because he's still been great. and We're not going to get that. We're not going to go crazy there. But with the Cleveland Browns now, they're going to be able to pack eight, nine guys in the box pretty much this entire game. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Not a lot of firepower here. DJ Chark, who was a wide receiver three coming into this game, he's going to have to get taken out of your lineup. So that just coming through our desk. Very surprising to see that happen. Ooh wee, that's gonna be a it's gonna be crazy on Sunday. And uh, oh yeah, well, well I won't hit the breaking news sounder for this because it's not as breaking news. But we're just getting tons of news coming through our desk right now. All of a sudden, Marquise Valdez Scantling is not practicing today either. We may see Alan Lazard be able to take a next step up. Devontae Adams can say stayed limited. Uh, is expected to go. So maybe now I can get to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we just had news like crazy coming out that was really going to affect a lot of fantasy teams out there. So let's talk about the Bucs. And we have Tom Brady. I do believe that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to put up a good amount of points in this game. I think it could be a high-scoring game. They're definitely going to be forced to. Tom Brady comes in as QB6 for me on the week just due to that. I think, first of all, we all know that Tom Brady tends to have bounce-back performances that he can go to. I do believe that he'll have a good game in this one against Kansas City Chiefs with all of his weapons. If nothing else, he has a high floor for sure. Look for Tom Brady to get back into the top 10 quarterback and a bounce back performance in what we saw on Monday night. As a result of that, <coughs> excuse me, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, all going to be plays in your lineups. As I continue to try to get the frog out of my throat. <laughs> uh yeah, so we have they're all wide receiver threes <coughs> heading into this game. And Mike Evans, somebody Tom Brady's been trying to target more and more down the field. Somebody that uh has just been an equal share really with all three of those wide receivers when it comes to those targets. I still don't have the frog out of my mouth. Chris Godwin has been leading the way and well not leading the way. He's been second in targets to Antonio Brown since all three of these receivers have been on the field together. So I expect that to continue here. I think you can play all three of them. Uh, wide, wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes, in a game that should be high scoring. I believe you will be able to see them quite a bit in this game. Uh, I'm going to go to a quick break. <coughs> Hopefully I can get rid of this real quick for you, and then we'll dive into the rest of the uh, breakdowns that we have for you in the Sunday night, Monday night game, and, of course, a, a small mailbag segment for you uh, in the next 15 minutes. So just stay tuned. Uh, right after these messages for you. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, we are back. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. WWSRN presents to you by Belly Up Sports. 
As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Hopefully, I apologize to you guys all out there. Hopefully, I have the uh, frog out of my throat now, and I can be able to talk to you clearly because we still have some more things to go over in the last 10 minutes of the show. We were talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, talking about how Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Antonio Brown all enter kind of the must-start territory in my book. Nobody really a high-end wide receiver, too, because of the the share and the targets between the three of them have been so even that really there hasn't been able to be one wide receiver to be able to establish themselves above the rest as far as who exactly is the go-to guy. They're all go-to guys, all wide receiver threes who have wide receiver two potential in a matchup that could be very, very high scoring. So I'm good with playing all of them in your lineups, depending on what your options are. I think the big question becomes Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette. Where can you play these guys? Can you play these guys? I do believe you could play Ronald Jones. I think one of the things that's become clear to me, especially over the past several weeks, is that Ronald Jones is just, he's going to be given the start every single week. No matter what happens, no matter how much he drops the ball, no matter how much he fumbles the ball, no matter how many times he can get put into the doghouse during the game that they're currently in, they seem to have this thing where they will allow Ronald Jones to be the starter, to be the main runner as a... uh, you know, as with the way the direction that they want to go in, at least starting off the game, it will be going into the game with the idea that Ronald Jones will get the bulk of the work, at least on the ground, while Leonard Fournette will offer them, you know, some insurance, will offer them a guy that they can turn to in the goal line situation as a little bit of a bigger back, and a guy that they'll turn to in the passing game. Ronald Jones does come in as RB18 for me this week. It's a good match against Kansas City. You can run the ball on Kansas City in this one. So as long as he doesn't fumble the ball, I think he could be looking at 16-plus carries in a good matchup in this game, have a chance to score, have a chance for a big play, and therefore comes in as an RB2 for me this week. There's still gonna, there's always going to be a low, risky floor when it comes to Ronald Jones, like I said, because during the game, he could be sent to the doghouse and then give a moment, and they could turn things over to Leonard Fournette. But it does sound like to me that they will continue to give him the first crack opportunity in any given week. So that's what you have to go off of. So Ronald Jones, to me, can be played as an RB2 against Kansas City Chiefs this week. You're not playing Leonard Fournette. There's just not much of a there's not much of a role there. It's not a 50-50 share between these two. Uh, while game script-wise, Leonard Fournette could have a decent chance of being utilized quite well in the passing attack uh, because he just can't trust what his carries are going to be or what even his role is going to be because he's had some situations where it's gotten him put into the doghouse too if there are a few drops that he had last week. He's no, he's not safe either. He doesn't have the same ceiling of a Ronald Jones because he's not guaranteed the same type of workload. So I'm not going to be playing Leonard Fournette in this game. I will play Ronald Jones in RB2, but just beware of the floor that you have when you're looking at your roster construction. Uh, some news coming in real quick that I do want to just mention. Chris McCaffrey officially listed as questionable. However, Rat Rule saying, again, pessimistic that he will actually play on Sunday. I'm not expecting to see him before Week 14 also had some news here that Julio Jones did was not out there for the media portion of practice today. So while he practiced in limited capacity both Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to have to wait to see when this practice concludes what exactly they're going to designate Julio Jones as. I think he'll continue to be a game-time decision no matter what, but if he's able to practice in limited capacity again for the third day, I would lean towards him being active against the Raiders, which could change a lot of things for what Matt Ryan's fantasy status is. Of course, the fact that you might have Julio Jones available to you, all those sorts of things. So we'll see what's going on, but it would be a little bit surprising that he didn't go down practicing today after being mailed to practice in limited capacity the past two days. But right now he was not out there for the media portion of practice. And Teddy Bridgewater no longer on the injury report. He's definitely good to go. All right, let's get into the Sunday night game here. 
between Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. Still not 100% clear who the starting quarterback is going to be, but what I can tell you is that it sounds like Mitchell Trubisky is more healthy than Nick Foles is at the moment. So we're going to probably, there's a decent chance we're going to see Mitchell Trubisky as a starting quarterback here. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means at least I have some more faith in Allen Robinson, some faith in Jimmy Graham. Not that, you know, Mitchell Trubisky is a tremendous quarterback, or that he's better than Nick Foles in any capacity, but it's better than having to turn to, oh, I don't know, Tyler Bray or whoever, whoever the hell else Chicago Bears are going to look to bring out there if Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky are going to be unable to go in this matchup. So, Allen Robinson, Jimmy Graham are two guys that are definitely playable in my mind If it's long as long as it's either Trubisky or Nick Foles, the starting quarterback position. It sounds like Trubisky is actually going to be in a position to possibly be able to give it a go. So we're going to feel pretty good about what, well, at least what Robinson's volume is going to be. Maybe not necessarily his production line, but what his volume will be in a game in which we expect the Packers to be able to win and maybe even dominate. Uh, and also Jimmy Graham, who's been targeted in the red zone, no matter who the quarterback has frankly been this season, whether it's been Trubisky or Nick Foles, they both have targeted him in the red zone pretty consistently uh, this year. So somebody you can play as a guy who has a decent opportunity to get a touchdown, which is all you're really looking for out of a Jimmy Graham. I know the Packers have been pretty good against the tight end so far this season. He does have a low floor, obviously, in this game, but somebody who can kind of play as a streamer if you're looking to go that route, if they're going to have one of these quarterbacks at least available to you. Uh, so let's move in. That's, that's all we really want to talk about there. Oh, David Montgomery. I almost forgot David Montgomery. David Montgomery is going to play in this game. He was cleared uh, against the Packers. It's obviously a tremendous matchup. Now, because it's David Montgomery, he does not have a high ceiling because he just never does no matter who he's playing. But in this matchup, the expected volume that he'll, he will get uh, in this ball game should at least give him a very high RB2 floor. Uh, so you can fire up David Montgomery with confidence that you're going to get at least a solid week out of him in this game against Green Bay Packers as he'll get his full workload again. So let's go. Let's turn this over to now to the Green Bay Packers for this one. Aaron Rodgers has made himself matchup proof. He's a top 10 quarterback no matter who he's playing against, even against a tough Chicago Bear defense in this one. I'm still going to play Aaron Rodgers. Talk about Devontae Adams. We expect him to play. He's been limited all week long. He should be good to go. Obviously, continue to play Adams as a wide receiver one. The guy who looks like he might not play is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I would expect Alan Lazard to ramp up his snap count this week, second week back. I'm not going to play Alan Lazard in this match against the Chicago Bears, but he's somebody to kind of keep an eye on, somebody that I would like to have on in my lineups or at least in my on my bench on my team as the number two wide receiver to a Packers offense that when it has a good matchup has really been able to excel throwing the football with the way Aaron Rodgers has been playing this season. So I want him on my team. Not going to look to play him, though, this week. Aaron Jones, obviously, RB1 in this matchup. Even even It's going to be a tough match against Chicago. He's not going to have that same ceiling, but always an RB1 no matter who he's playing against. So the Packers coming out pretty straightforward with what you're going to be able to utilize, what you want to do. Uh, the only person I'm not looking to use is Robert Tanyan, who's – his, his his target share in and of itself has been incredibly inconsistent since Devontae Adams has returned to the lineup. Not to mention this is not a good matchup for tight ends against Chicago Bears either. <clears throat> let's move in <clears throat> let's move in the Monday night game. I still have some difficulties in my throat here. But let's move in the Monday night game. We got the Philadelphia Eagles, the Seattle Seahawks. It's gonna be in Philadelphia. Just talked about earlier in the show, Lane Johnson not gonna be able to go. Uh, so the Eagles offensive line is going to, you know, it's going to be tough again. And frankly, the front seven, or at least the front line 
of Seattle has gotten better since they were able to bring in Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams being back. It might be a tougher game for Miles Sanders here. Now, he still has a high floor. He's still going to be a high-end RB2, low-end RB1 with the volume that he gets in both the passing and the rushing game. But he's been a bit disappointing. He hasn't had those big performances. And you would think on paper against Seattle with what they've done, this would be one of those big performances. But I don't know that it can be. I don't know that it can be because of their offensive line, because of the way the Eagles' offense, while it shouldn't struggle as much as it has, it just continues to be out of sync, out of sorts. They can't protect Carson Wentz long enough. He's thinking about what he wants to do on the field too much. And Miles Sanders isn't finding running lanes to get through, to have these big pops, to have these big games. They're not checking it down the ball to him nearly as much or making as much of a featured target coming out of the backfield in this passing game. I don't know if that changes here. So while he has, he's definitely playable, he's, I mean, he's definitely, like I said, a high-end RB2 given the workload and what his abilities are, he's still, you're still looking for that game where Miles Sanders can actually establish himself as having a ceiling and being an RB1. I don't think that's going to be this week given the variables around this matchup. But he's still going to play him here. Travis Fulgham, to me, this is his last chance that he's going to be in my starting lineup. And even then, I don't know how much I want to take advantage of it, but because it's Seattle and you can just attack them on the perimeter corner, and I do believe the points are going to have to be had in this game, especially for the Philadelphia Eagles here. I don't see how Travis Fulgham doesn't have at least a better performance than a one-catch performance like he's had the past two weeks now. However, if he comes out and lays an egg basically again this week, I would immediately move off of all Eagle wide receivers for the rest of the season because it's clear that you're just not going to be able to trust any of them. Carson Wentz is somebody who, I guess, against Seattle has to be considered a streaming option. He does come in in a top-12 quarterback for us this week. The one thing with Carson Wentz is as terrible as he's looked throwing the football around at times. He's been using his legs more and more. And in a game in which that is a good matchup on paper at home in Philadelphia and a game in which he'll have to score points because you know Seattle's going to, I do think there's going to be that uh, nothing else, that garbage time, that fourth quarter comeback, whatever the case may be, where he'll be able to light it up on the scoreboard enough to be considered a top 12 quarterback this week. So if you've been streaming quarterbacks, although it has not been pretty, I would still consider Carson Wentz here just because it is the Seattle Seahawks and because of how the expected game script of this game to go, frankly, heading into Monday night. Zach Ertz is actually expected to be back Monday night. That leaves me with an uneasy feeling, though, because... Dallas Goddard just finally got good again, it seems like, on the field, uh, just being able to utilize him. We, Zach Ertz, when he was out there, was he was a guy you were struggling to even keep on your roster, let alone play as a tight end one. With both of them back there on the field and with the shakiness of this offense as it is, I think you're going to be facing that dilemma where do you play them based on what they are on paper or do you have to move on? Uh, they're both guys that I would have to consider starting given the tight end landscape, but not guys that I would really want to if I can at all help it. Of course, on the Seattle side of the ball, the big news is that Chris Carson, I expect him back. Not a great matchup here, but with Chris Carson, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and how we expect to utilize him and how much Seattle's looking forward to getting him back in the fold, I would expect him to be nothing less than an RB2. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf continue to be top and wide receiver plays. Russell Wilson, of course, the top three play. All of that really just straightforward on that, on that side of the ball. I would expect Darius Slay to shadow DK Metcalf. So we have seen DK Metcalf maybe you know, fall away a little bit in some of these games where he's had to face a tough corner. Uh, not always because he's getting covered just better. He's not able to break free from those top corners, but because 
the Seattle Seahawks don't feel the need to go his way when he's facing a top corner because you have great a great receiver in Tyler Lockett who's operating everywhere else in the field that Russell Wilson can continue to hit over and over and over again. You have to play both of these guys, but I think this could be more of a Lockett game than a DK Metcalf game given the situation. Something just to keep in mind there. That's going to do it for the show. We ran a little bit long, so we actually are not going to be able to get to the mailbag segment today. I apologize for that. I did answer everybody who sent me a question, though, that we put on the mailbag segment on social media, and I will do that for anybody who asks a question throughout the weekend at Show on Twitter and on Facebook. We will be back on Monday with the recap of the Sunday afternoon games for Week 12 like we normally are, so make sure you stay tuned for that on your favorite streaming app or on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app, too. And we will keep you up to date with all the rankings at BillyUpFantasySports.com. Make sure you check out that website. A lot of other great content on there, too, to help you guys win your fantasy sports leagues. Everybody take care. Stay safe. I'm Dan Mater, and hope you guys win this matchup in Week 12, heading into your playoff races. Take care. Everyone have a great weekend. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.